Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Around the Coin. Today is a very special episode. We have my co-founder, business partner, best friend, Kyle Hill, on the show. Kyle and I have started multiple businesses together. We have first started a company called Flowtab back in 2012-13 timeframe. We worked and started a company called Home Hero, which is a platform for families to hire caregivers for seniors. We raised $23 million in venture capital with that business. And we eventually, cha- we eventually shut the company down due to a lot of regulatory pressure in tw- late 2017. Uh, spun up a company called Harvey during the sale of Home Hero that we worked on for a year. And Bitcoin uh, erupted in popularity and interest, which really was the tipping point for us to start Redeem. So hope you enjoy this conversation today about Redeem and about government regulation and other services and opportunities and dropshipping, a whole bunch in this show that you'll enjoy. One of the things we talked about pre-show was the uh the history and story of redeem so why don't why don't i stop and you just give a a a story on where we are and where we came from and what we're doing yeah sure thanks mike thanks for having me on and um i uh if there's anything that i know it's probably the story of redeem so i'm gonna um i can give you a little background uh obviously we've been working together for uh Man, I mean, it's been a large part of the last decade, um, but the most recent five years have been with Home Hero, and um, we've, uh, at the end of the kind of the reign of Home Hero, we started working on a lot of blockchain projects kind of independently um, to kind of just figure out what we were going to do after Home Hero. And um, what we noticed is that uh, there was just there was this really vibrant community of of individuals, specifically gift card traders, that were kind of unexpectedly at the helm of the blockchain movement. And what I mean by that is there's just an enormous amount of money coming into crypto through gift cards. And so what I found uh, at initially was just um, just personally was that you could save a lot of money on the things you buy on Amazon and Walmart and all these other um, and these other retail brands by using Bitcoining if you're willing to get get rid of some of your Bitcoin. And so um, I would say the impetus for the idea of Redeem kind of started really toward the end of um, was it twenty uh, beginning of twenty eighteen. Um, right around the spike. I remember that. Yeah. That was crazy. <laughs> it, 
it was well there's a lot of um i think there was a lot of smart money and a lot of dumb yeah. money in the same pot and um but uh yeah i think we st- i started to take bitcoin a little more a little bit more seriously in terms of actually being a um a kind of a venture backable kind of full-time uh business opportunity um somewhere in the beginning of 2018 and what would you how how would you put redeem's vision or purpose or what what we even do so redeem on the surface is a is a fast safe and easy way to buy and sell gift cards uh using cryptocurrencies so uh you can anybody can come onto the site and you have an amazon gift card uh, that you got from in your uh in your stocking over christmas and uh you can basically upload it, a photo of it um, upload a picture of the receipt if you have it. Uh, it's optional. And uh, you can get Bitcoin within 15 minutes. And, um, you know, up to a certain limit, you can do that without um, showing your ID, uh, without needing a bank account. And all you really need is a mobile phone and access the internet. And you can get Bitcoin. And so um, you can imagine what uh, kind of service that uh, is to people who do not live in the United States and maybe live in a country where. They deal with hyperinflation, they deal with a uh, corrupt government, or they lack access to banks, or they lack access to uh, affordable financial services. Uh, Those uh, individuals in those countries, um, sometimes their only way into the crypto safely is through through fiat currencies and gift cards, and then they can quickly convert those to to gift cards. Uh, Excuse me, um, they can convert that to Bitcoin. And so Redeem really just makes it faster, safer, and, and easier to, um, to, to trade uh, gift cards in crypto. Yeah, it is a pretty amazing uh, asset, you know, currency. I mean, they're not, they're not, gift cards aren't currency, but it's made to give. And it is this amazing on-ramp, like peer-to-peer, where you can just go into a 7-Eleven, buy a gift card with cash, your credit card, and then trade it for someone who, who has Bitcoin already anywhere in the world and get access to Bitcoin. And that peer-to-peer exchange is what I find so insanely attractive about a cryptocurrency and just generally decentralized organizations and currencies. It just seems to pull away the fabric of power from centralized governments, which is, I think, an inevitably good thing for the human species. It will be, a, will be an interesting time in the next 20 years to see how that unfolds. Um, yeah, so redeem in the early days was you know, what, what, so let's talk a little bit about the how we started. So literally techni- technically we started on frameworks of Bitcoin, which yep. was Bitcoin pretty new at the time. Right? I think it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Bitcoin has been huge, you know, just mm-hmm. a, an amazing you describe it as an open source yeah, it's an open source uh, Bitcoin framework, to put very simply, um, and it allows you to um, basically interact with the blockchain and you can, con- you know, and, and I, I kind of I kind of look at it as an escrow service. Um, they kind of handle the um, the wallet ID- IDs, the, the secret keys, and um, basically uh, they don't. There's no centralization there, right? Like, so Bitcoin is not, there are not individuals sitting behind a Bitcoin wall, you know, that own custody on the wallets. Like, they're just, it's just an open source, um, you know, uh, coding framework. And uh, they were, they were, it was started by uh, Andrew Lee and um, some of the guys from Purse.io. And they obviously, Purse was kind of the first. Um, kind of demonstration of mm-hmm. Bitcoin's ability. And so uh, it's kind of hard to talk about Redeem without mentioning Purse. It's, a, it's hard to talk about Redeem without mentioning 
uh, Paxful or local mm -hmm. bitcoins. There's, there's so many of the, some of the incumbents that have uh, built these peer-to-peer -peer networks that you were talking about a minute ago. And, um, you know, Ray Youssef from Paxful, he talks about this peer-to-peer -peer revolution. And, um, you know, I think that I, I was certainly inspired by uh, some of the, the networks that have been built through these peer-to-peer uh, -peer exchanges, because if you look in countries like Argentina and Venezuela, uh, they rely so heavily on these peer-to-peer -peer exchanges to survive. And for people who aren't familiar, like Argentina and, and Venezuela, they, they're dealing with um, hundreds, if not thousand percent inflation. Um, and so people are just desperately looking to hold on to currencies that are different from uh, their, their you know, Argentinian peso or their fiat currencies. So uh, Bitcoin is not only this kind of this necessary kind of uh, like currency for it's a de facto currency for hyperinflationary countries. Um, it, it's really just the way that people access credit. It's the way they access the global economy, especially if they they lack uh, access to a bank. And so um, piecing together all of the, the kind of the visions be behind making it faster, safer, easier to buy Bitcoin, I said, well, um, we can make it faster, safer, easier to, um, to buy gift cards as well. And if we can do both of those things, then I felt like we had a, a really unique market uh, and one that was just much lower fraud rate. It was faster, it was more automated than some of the, the incumbent peer-to-peer um, -peer exchanges. You think, when do you think, I guess it's almost a when instead of if, do you think that there will be no government-issued currencies? You know, we'll, we'll hit a point where you're just living in the uh, <laughs> like the ancient times. If you're a country that's issuing your own pesos or dollars, that it's all decentralized. Ah, uh, man. I mean, I'm a Bitcoin optimist, but I wouldn't say in our lifetime. Um, you know, best case scenario for Bitcoin. I mean, I and people would disagree with me, but you know, I think there, there's about a hundred trillion dollars of money out there in every single currency. If we look at kind of uh, fiat currencies, there's about a hundred trillion dollars. Um, and forgive me if I'm off by a few trillion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a big black hole. It's still, yeah, it's, it's a Everybody large number, knows. right? Um, and the U.S. dollar, I, I believe, is about 1% of, of wow, all of that really? money. Yeah. Of all global Of all fiat, the global wow. fiat money. And, and they're the global leaders, right? Jeez. So I'm going to say, like, if Bitcoin was best case scenario was 10% penetration in the world, it would be 10 times more than the U.S. dollar. And it would That's be, insane. you know, so... I, to to get to a hundred percent, I think is is a, is a is a stretch. I think there's there's always value for countries. I think there is value for countries to have their own fiat currency, mm -hmm. but it shouldn't be mandatory. I mean, it, mm -hmm. like there's laws that are going in place in Argentina right now that are limiting how much U.S. dollars people can hold. Like, to, it was like ten thousand a month or two hundred dollars a day or something like that. And you know, to me, that's that's insanity. That that's you're being held yeah. pr a prisoner yeah. of your own government. Yeah, I think governments <laughs> have this this opportunity now where they either screw people over and condense power for themselves, or they allow innovation to happen and become decentralized. Which means, like, there's more power for individuals. You know, you as a country, as a country, you're either going to control the money completely by m regulating banks, and we've seen how that how that's gone, or you give it up and say, you know, let's figure out how to do taxes, taxation and monitoring. And there, there seems like there can be a middle ground, but it is remarkably powerful for the individual to have, you know, your complete finances in your hand, not attached to any bank, and the secure encrypted keys are on a USB drive, like on your desk or wherever you store them. 
it is a promising future. And one of the things I think about at Redeem is how we, in particular, because we're on the, the bleeding edge of people getting access to Bitcoin, is how we're just lifting up these countries in, in Africa, in South America, and in Asia that don't have access to banking. I mean, it's cliche at this point, but in America, we just, we were swimming in, you know, access to fiat currencies oh, yeah. and banks. But in so many other countries, you're not. And I just look at that and think there's going to be revolutions over this. You know, people are going to go on the line. And I I mean, if you're going to fight for anything, then this is, you know, debatably something to really, really stand yeah. up for. Well, I mean, I, I joke a lot about how many photo sharing apps are out there. And there's probably an equal amount of a mobile wallets, right? Like if I wanted to send you $10 right now, I can send you Venmo and Square and yeah. I can send you a Chase Quick Pay and, you know, I ACH transfer a wire. Like there's probably a hundred ways yeah. I can send you money. And so when I present Redeem to people who live in the United States, a lot of people don't get it other than the gift card side, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I can save money on Uber. Cool. I'll keep that in mind. Mm. But for you would never really you you wouldn't use Redeem as your first choice necessarily of buying uh, Bitcoin. If you live in the United States and you have access to a bank account, it's not your cheapest option. It might be your yeah. fastest option. If fastest yeah. and easiest. I mean, if you had fastest, if easiest, you, if you got a hundred dollars in cash. In 15 minutes. Yeah. And, and if you look at if you look at Coinbase, right, like say, well, the, Coinbase is cheaper, right? OK, but. In order to put $2,000 into Coinbase, it could take a week, you know, to wait for that yeah. ACH transfer. And God forbid you yeah. do it on a Friday. You're not, that money is not even yeah. going to start moving till, mo till Monday. Or, or God forbid you open two you know? Coinbase accounts by accident. Oh, yeah. And if you have like uh, two email addresses and one of them maybe yeah. is shady, they will, they'll, they'll freeze it they'll, for a week. They don't have customer support. Mm. So for a lot of people, um, they're willing to take a little higher of a fee, which in the case of, you know, converting to gift cards first and then to Bitcoin is going to be a little more of a fee. Uh, but for many people, it is the fastest and safest way to get to get Bitcoin. Um, and, and, it, and it can also be an anonymous way. Now, we spent a lot of time, as you know, kind of building out our anti-money laundering uh, rules and our, our KYC program, Know Your Customer program. And so we do have, a, have limits in place to prevent money laundering at larger amounts, but you can still buy Bitcoin essentially anonymously up to a certain amount on Redeem. And you can't do that with other exchanges. And, not, and, and especially we've seen the, this move with, with data privacy and so much of KYC is not about, you know, uh, people wanting to, you know, people being bad actors and wanting to do bad things. It's so much about them just not trusting people with their yeah, data. And yeah. we made the decision that it's not like, we can validate using our third-party Civic, yeah. but not actually take everybody's data. Yeah, so. I think it's a good point. I mean, worth extrapolating on that. It's not, it's when people build, I listened to this great interview with the creator of uh, Monero. I forget it was Monero or Zcash. One of these completely trustless, uh, anonymous protocols. And his question, I think it was on Laura Shin, the uh, uh, Unchained podcast. Mm -hmm. And she asked, well, wouldn't this be a black hole for criminals and people money laundering and you know where's the use case and he made this great great answer that said you know the internet when it first came around that's the same thing that people said and it is the first thing the first people that get attracted to it 
is the people doing, you know, creating porn websites, you know, like criminal exchange websites. The internet, as we view it today, was started looked at the same as, way. Ju- yeah, just this started the thing. exact same way. But yeah. I view it as like you, you have privacy as an individual. You should fight for that in the same way you fight for these constitutional rights for the individual. Not saying that the government is going to take your money today or you know do whatever they do to monitor and survey, you know, implement surveillance, but they could. You know, like the whole Edward Snowden thing was an eye opener because we're all being there's mass surveillance going on today, you know, and and government's power has this tendency over time to just creep and creep and creep until the banks are slow and they they could just take money out of your account. Like, you know, we just think, Kyle, you're pretty suspicious. We're going to shut your bank account down and we're going to bring you in. And like if the government has complete control over people, then you know, you're, you're, you're headed towards you're 1984. Dark. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. George Orwell. Yeah. No, I, I think that there's, um, I think most of people probably listening to this podcast understand the value of Bitcoin. I, I, I think what's hard to grasp is what, what we were saying is what is life like when you don't have access to the basic financial services that, that we rely on every day. And for people like that, um, it's probably worth highlighting a, a company called Tala. Uh, they're mm. based in Santa Monica, and they do micro loans to um, to individuals in Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, a lot of um, kind of developing nations. And I was surprised to learn that the average uh, loan size on the platform it, w- it was twenty five dollars, right? Wow! And like. We would have thought maybe $300 would have been my guess, <laughs> you know, but it's like it's $25 and that amount of money is can actually fund businesses, you know, wow. and, and actually and can provide loan. And so they're looking, they're using various types of data science to look at, um, you know, some of the data on your phone and based on different factors and um, some of them, which are, I, I think are quite uh, clever, but quite simple. Mm. And uh, they can kind of develop a trustworthiness score based on that. Mm. And so those kind of services um, are just, they're hard to, to grasp oftentimes in the United States. So, Yeah, I, I thought that that was such a good example of a company helping people on the ground floor level. I mean, there's a friend of mine, you know him too, Jack uh, Langworthy, founder of Ninayo. He lives in Tanzania, you know, Grew up in the States, went to UCLA, and raised some money for this project to help connect farmers to distributors for their food. And the number one problem wasn't even the communication. It was the payment. You know, if, you, mm-hmm. if you're if you in person, they can do that. But anyone who's at all remote, like, you're sending it through, even through the cell phone companies, I mean, don't have the same level of security. It's crazy, too. We've seen such adoption in places like Israel with drop shipping, I'd say that's one of the major things we learned at Redeem. Oh, totally. Which is drop shipping as a whole industry is, first of all, huge. And then second of all, so hyper-focused in Israel and, and Palestine. Maybe it's worth explaining what drop shipping is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I may take that for granted, but let's say that you own like a bookstore and you owned uh, or a, uh, a bike, bike store. What people will do is they'll actually go and they'll buy... Um, gift cards off of a secondary market and uh, at, a, at a discount using Bitcoin or some other um, some other currency. 
and um, then they will fund their account and then they uh, they have a store, let's say a, a bike store, somebody buys a bike and uh, they use the credits from that um, from uh, that gift card to basically send the bike to someone and they don't necessarily need to um, live in the same you know, place that the bikes are, <laughs> are, mm-hmm. are even shipped from as long as they, they can deliver. So, um, there's just a, there was a big kind of conglomerate of drop shippers that kind of developed in Israel just because that, um, I believe eBay has a headquarters there in mm-hmm. Tel Aviv. And so there's just this, a lot of the drop shippers have kind of moved, uh, from eBay onto Amazon and, mm-hmm. uh, or still use eBay. And a lot of them have now graduated to Bitcoin. And so, yeah. um, you know, this is, this is a, a, a subset of our, of our market of, of buyers and definitely people that, that use it heavily. But, uh, yeah, they, you know, people who never, you would think, using Bitcoin are suddenly starting to adopt it. Yeah, I think that the whole dropshipping thing is such a fascinating industry because if you're looking for a way to become entrepreneurial, you have very little in the bank and no experience, this is a pretty good on-ramp. There's a lot of great YouTube videos and instructional classes that teach people how to do this. And it's one of these industries that arbitrage between major retail platforms are inherently limited for individuals because your account you know, can only sell this much or you have to go on and manually do it. But for someone who wants to come in and make a few hundred bucks a month or per week, it's a great way to, to learn how to manage support, how to manage people, how to do customer service, how to manage inventory and billing. Like I had lunch with a, a, a guy that works, he used to be a drop shipper. He used to live in Israel. And he's like, this was the on-ramp for me to learn. You know, this is, you know, he made a few thousand dollars a month and was able to survive. But he's like, this was my education. Mm-hmm. This is my business school. And it's such a nice, I think, way to start off in the world to do something like that, especially if you're, you know, you don't want to do next, you know, you're stuck between careers or totally no matter where you are in the world, you can set up accounts and buy yep. and sell. And yeah. And, and on the flip side, I think there's an entrepreneurial opportunity for uh, people that trade gift cards specifically. And, you know, I know that this this industry is kind of viewed as kind of this. Uh, I think we've internally referred to it as like a shadow finance industry where people buy gift cards, you trade them and you can earn a little arbitrage. Well, I think there's a lot of similarities with uh, some of the, um, in our case, what we refer to as the sellers are people that are trading the gift cards. They're the ones that are um, looking for um, to, to earn Bitcoin. And it reminds me a lot, Redeem uh, reminds me a little bit of um, StubHub in the early days, oh, yeah. where StubHub actually took this uh, this market of a network of um, ticket scalpers who yeah. people maybe wouldn't view as having this pristine reputation, the same way gift card traders or ni- the Nigerian princes yeah. and all these kind of reputations you hear. They're the guys outside the stadium selling, yeah, selling the one, tickets. Yeah, selling, selling tickets, tickets <laughs> right? And, so, and of course, this is against the terms of service of Staples Center and the mm. Los Angeles Lakers, and, and so to speak. But there, yet there's this multi-billion dollar opportunity mm. sitting on behind secondary t- ticket sales. And so what we found is that there's a very similar market with gift cards where there's this multi-billion dollar market of secondary gift cards. You know, in the United States, you have, you know, Raise and Card Cash and uh, Card Pool and Gift Card Kangaroo and the list goes mm-hmm. on. Um, but there's really no, none of these that are focused on Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And so 
um, I see just a really big opportunity um, to kind of build kind of the StubHub uh, like offering for the gift card industry, but built on Bitcoin and uh, really just kind of clean up this this industry that I think has a little bit of a bad reputation just because of the higher fraud rates on mm-hmm. impactful local Bitcoins and some of these other just big marketplaces, it's hard to control the fraud. So I, I see Redeem as really kind of cleaning that up and kind of creating a way for people to earn money trading gift cards um, and do it legitimately. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of product features specifically that come to mind was uh, the screen recordings. I know that we get a lot of feedback on this show from entrepreneurs who are starting off looking for like, what specifically can I do or how do I think about building product? And I'd say our collaborative process has been something like have, a, have an initial hunch about what the the demand is or what the product experience should be and then keep it simple and then tell ourselves to keep it simple. And then when it inevitably gets more complex than it should be, because it's something about complexity that's fascinating. It's something about it that's fun. Like to just build this feature that changes this price or automatically does this thing. It's a curiosity. Yeah. You know, it's like when we build a, um, what was the first complex thing we built? Probably the pricing algorithm Mm -hmm. to determine what the market price should be. And it's just crazy how we get into like you know, six part factorial yep. exponential and, and it all I had all my boils. statistics books yeah, down. Yeah. And then, but we found yeah. <laughs> the optimal thing was just to let sellers yeah. set their own rates. It is, it is <laughs> you man. know, and it's like, and they figure it out Yeah, and, and give them tools to do it. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think if there's one thing we learned with, with home hero, you know, after, um, you know, raising a tremendous, you know, a sizable amount of, of venture capital and, and, you know, building out to hundreds of thousands of hours was really just to fight complexity at every turn. You know, mm-hmm. like we, I think we built, we had success at home hero and we're having success at redeem just because, um, you know, the default answer to everything is no. <laughs> yeah. And even when I'm excited about something, it kind of takes you a minute to say, Hey, mm-hmm. like statistically speaking, mm-hmm. like this is, we probably shouldn't do this, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And like when you lead conversations like that, like yeah. it, it protects you from a lot of distractions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the screen recordings were huge. Basically what Mike's referring to is we, we have the bot, we've kind of trained our buyers, the gift card buyers, uh, to record their screen sessions while they're redeeming their cards. And then if there's a problem with the card, we require that recording within minutes of the card being reported bad. And so it's very hard for them to doctor a video with and upload it yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. within five minutes yeah. of, of redeeming a card. And so it's, it's taken our fraud rates God, man, I, I'm not exaggerating from, you know, 20% fraud rates down to like less than 1%. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's been huge. And so it's, you know, that was definitely one of the biggest uh, kind of innovations I think we brought to this market that, you know, none of the other marketplaces really do. Any other companies that any of the particular companies you're excited about in crypto that are either recently launched or making inroads in and around the, the Cri- world we're in? Crypto Kitties. Crypto Kitties, yeah. <laughs> I I like what they're doing with the games. Like they've got a smart smart group behind them with Dapper Labs. But um, the ones that we've come across and we've used in our business, um, I, I really like what Civic is doing. Uh, Civic yeah. Technologies. They built a just a really nice mobile app for verifying um, identities in over two hundred countries and. You know, we, what we were talking about with simplicity is oftentimes when 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 a user experience is very simple, there's usually a lot more complex things going on behind mm-hmm, the scenes. Mm-hmm. And 
I think we found with Civic is that they make the process of just like scanning your ID and, and verifying it uh, with a third-party database, they do that in seconds. And it, it's incredible. And we couldn't really build uh, Redeem without that KYC pr protocols in place. Uh, we talked about Bitcoin, uh, Bcoin.io. Uh, I, I think we wouldn't be able to exist without that. Um, you know, we talked. The video recording is is a slightly homogenous technology, but I think Loom does it really well with just putting a lot of metadata on the video, making it hard to mm. duplicate. Um, who else? Oh yeah, we we've used uh, Coin Payments. Uh, they're another yeah. cool company. Yeah. Um, it's I mean, it's pretty incredible what they've built um, to compete against BitPay. They've just like BitPay came out and was like, oh, we're going to be PayPal 2.0. We're going to be this processor. And they raise all this money. And then Coin Payments has just been like just crushing them in adoption yeah. by doing way less and and just yeah. making it. And they built off the API of Shapeshift. And it's just they stay out of your way. They don't hold your money. Yeah. And they're half the cost. Yeah. And so it's like despite the beautiful user experience of BitPay, I will say they have an amazing user experience. Coin payments is just like just 10 times better. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting to watch those two companies because they've taken such different approaches. Completely different. One is like venture funding, public image, BitPay, uh, great Credit UI, card, bank simple. partnerships. Yeah. yeah. And it's nice. I mean, I would recommend that for my new, dad to totally. use. But coin payments has got like features on features. You, up, you open the like dashboard. Two thousand coins. Yeah. Except, Do you know where they're yeah. based? Do you know where they actually? Probably Malta or yeah. something. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. yeah. Like yeah, every yeah. crypto company. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they definitely took this decentralized approach, and it's like every single marketplace that I see that has decentralized something, they make it open, they make it faster, they make it easier, and they make it cheaper, and they have really low fees, is just going to do well, mm. <laughs> like, in these markets. Like, mm. And the companies that hold your money, they charge high fees, and they mm. sometimes freeze your funds, and they turn your money over to the Everyone's IRS favorite. whenever they ask for it. It's like, those companies just they're they're just it's not saying they won't grow but they're it's just a shackle you mm -hmm. know yeah yeah it is it is interesting to see especially all across different countries in the world like it, it's it's really it's a competitive economic system with co companies but then it's also with countries and and i'm like rooting for the u.s here and i i think the winning strategy just has to be from a government standpoint let innovators innovate and like to some extent, the SEC has done a g good job, not a great job. I think the whole ICO regulatory uh, ruling to say anyone doing an ICO is going to be viewed as a money services yeah. business. And, and the fact that we have 50 states that each have their own money transmitter laws is just wild. I mean, it's so expensive, like a million dollars and multiple years to get money transmitter licenses in every state. Yeah, you know, I remember speaking with our lawyer about that, and she just saying this is just an old, you know, an old relic of the past. And yeah, I I hope if there is any Bitcoin enthusiasts, entrepreneurs listening, that we can come together. It seems like one of the one of the opportunities I'll call it, not challenges or problems, is that the communication in the crypto community to make regulatory impact or any sort of like lobbying or collective communication seems fragmented you know I, I know facebook has probably taken the biggest public stance yeah um coin payments as well the winklevoss twins you know there's a lot of like individual communication but 
I don't know, at a certain point, who represents the people, not just the companies? Well, I think that the uh, the SEC and you know the government in general is going to have to play a lot of whack a mole with um, with with the regulation because yeah. there's just a you know the reality is, and we've learned this um, the easy way and the hard way, is that you can lose your Bitcoin in a lot of ways. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think that the government's it's going to take a an acute understanding of of this these assets uh, to really understand how to regulate them. And I, I don't remember, I think this was the SEC, but there was a, there was a motto that the SEC had with the early days of the internet. And it was, and it was kind of this double entendre, um, you know, saying that they said, uh, do no harm. And essentially what it means is do no harm to the people of the United States in the growth of this technology. Mm. Don't allow people like I didn't mind the, that Visa <laughs> didn't allow people to put uh, Bitcoin on credit cards like, uh, mm. you know, on margin or whatever. Like they eventually stopped that. And I'm like, OK, if you follow this philosophy of do no harm, like probably a good thing to like maybe maybe stop people from from racking up 200K yeah. bills on their credit card. Um, but on the flip side, do no harm means new, do no harm to the growth of, and potential of the technology either. Mm. Don't don't like we we have some of the the we have some of the brightest innovators uh, in the world, and part of that is because when something like the internet or mobile phone comes out, the government doesn't squash it, <laughs> you know. Totally. And whereas maybe the Chinese government would say, no, this is ours, or this is getting mm -hmm. too powerful, and they cut it down, they shut it down. Fear-based yeah, regulation. And, and look what happened in China, right? Like, they have been fighting Bitcoin for five years, right? Like, just tooth and nail, have been fighting it. And yet, despite that, they're like the largest mining country of uh, you yeah. know, Bitcoin. And now they're coming around, like, the last week caused one of the big j uh, jumps, potentially is that they are they're warming up to bitcoin again but they're late you know yeah, yeah and so it's like learn from venezuela like who's now holding bitcoin uh, in their na in their federal bank i know sometimes you've got to lose to <laughs> it's win like, you know yeah, it's, it's like, like just, that's the whole thing it's leapfrogging it's like I, we see people in in africa you know nigeria and south america or south south africa it's like not having the infrastructure of banking is an advantage because then people will just adopt it there's no one to block it and I, there is some I don't know. It's almost like a deeper metaphysical reality of this equalization where you, a country invests a ton into some infrastructure and they, they leap ahead and they benefit from that. And then that infrastructure kind of gets old as the new one comes around. It's like telephone poles, you know, it's like, well, we don't really need them anymore, but we spent a ton to build them. And that's kind of the reality now. It's like, yeah, we've got a great banking system, but that's not really useful. In fact, it might be counter productive to growing and yeah yeah i mean that that's part of what gets me so excited about what we're doing is that you you don't need any of that stuff you can just come in and trade with people i think one of the one of the most compelling just questionable regulatory considerations is the dao the uh, decentralized application organization so how does that get regulated when there's an open source open source project that anyone could download locally to their computer. They can <laughs> yeah. run like this is, um, well, it's like Napster. <laughs> yeah. Napster, Napster is a great example. Yeah. Even Napster was hosted, you know, they had servers. Yeah. But this so is you, even more decentralized. This is, yeah. You're your own server. Like yeah. BISC is a great peer to peer exchange that you download their, their On code Tor network. And yeah. 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 And they have tour baked into it. 
So even the decision-making of the company, mm -hmm. like what gets built, you vote on the commits. So engineers can, you know, push up uh, changes and people can vote on it, like what to let in, what not to let in. It's That's super fascinating. Yeah, I, you can't shut that down. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like I said, like you can you can disrupt the marketplaces, yeah. but like I, I kind of look at uh, fighting Bitcoin as kind of like those Chinese finger cuffs, like the, the yeah. harder you pull, like it's yeah. just going to tighten even more. And Argentina is a great example of that. Like when they announced this limit on how many U.S. dollars you can hold, what do you think happened? Like there's yeah. just yeah. flood on U.S. dollars, like, yeah. you know, and so at the end of the day, like I, I think that the government's going to have to figure out this this do no harm policy with with Bitcoin as well, and you know. But part of that is allowing these these decentralized exchanges to exist. Like if there's two if there's two American citizens or in, or even international citizens that want to trade a good or service, and that good or service is not inherently uh, or or morally wrong, or it's not legally illegal to, to mm -hmm. own or trade that asset, like a gift card then uh, I think the government should just stay out of the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, mm -hmm. these assets, especially gift cards, are by nature designed oh, yeah, to be yeah. shared. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, and I think we're just going to see more and more of these, these networks pop up. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how governments cope with them. Yeah, so. yeah, totally. Uh, any last thoughts? Anything in particular you'd want to leave people with? Any words of wisdom or things you've learned across your journey for the last few years? So Mike's doing this whole podcast in uh, Bitcoin socks. I just want everyone to know. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to post a picture of those. Yeah, these were yours at your yeah, wedding. That you I gave, gave me. away Bitcoin socks. Yeah, as, they're now uh, in my Twitter profile. I think I think yeah, I deliberately have them to all my groomsmen. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we're we're live. We're twenty four hours uh, a day. We're trading on Redeem, including weekends. And it's spelled three E's. Three four E's, E's total. Four E's total. Three in a row um redeem.com and uh yeah we're we have nearly 24 7 support um our uh, we're always there for to chat so uh just come on there hit that little bubble at the bottom and ask questions if you're confused but uh yeah buying and selling you can mm. uh make a nice little business on both sides yeah, so of the market you're, if you're holding bitcoin or any other currency and want to trade it this yeah over it. 20 different currencies we accept uh you have to convert your currency your you basically send your your uh crypto and we can hold them basically as credits on the pa on the platform and then you can buy your gift cards as they come up uh, you can sign up for the text message alerts you'll get alerts uh, whenever certain brands are at whatever discount you want so if you're waiting for a Nike gift card, you can put an alert mm. on. And when a Nike card comes up, you'll get an alert. Um, and as I mentioned before, you don't have to do KYC until like $1,000 a card. Sweet. Or something, so. Sweet. Where's the yeah. best place for people to reach you online? I am on crypto Twitter pretty pretty hard every day. Uh, What's at your Twitter? Kalezy, K-A-L-E-A-Z-Y. And then... Uh, yeah, that's my handle on pretty much everything. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so. All right, my man. This has yeah. been fun. Yeah. The, the person you, whose ideas you get to hear the most every day, it's actually, it's, this is the first time we've been in an interview uh, yeah. situation. So. Cool. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.